Amen. You know what? We don't have to wait until the end of time to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We get to do that today. Let's, let's affirm that together as the congregation of Christ. Let's repeat that phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord. Ready? Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're studying and looking at as we're looking at the, the prophet Isaiah and relating Jesus as the great servant of the Lord that Isaiah prophesies about. And before I, I get started, I want to recognize there's lots of green shirts out there. I want to ask our green shirts to stand for a minute. This is our group that went to Harvey last time. And I wore my green shirt last week, but nobody was here. So I didn't, uh, I didn't wear mine today, but uh, we had the privilege of going to, down to Refurio, Texas a couple of weeks ago and ministering in three particular homes and not only sharing, but living out and witnessing the good news of Christ to those that have been struggling and suffering. And it was an incredible experience. And I want to encourage you to, to ask these folks and ask these folks to share a story about what God did in and through them while they were uh, in Refurio. Thank you all for standing and thanks for going. And yeah. And I believe, Lord Joe, we're looking at uh, in the fall, taking another group down uh, to, to continue that work of Christ in that place and partnering with the, uh, the churches there and, and just serving the Lord in that great way. I also want to recognize another group. If you're on the Converge planning team, I walked into their meeting the other night and there's looked like 30 adults that were in planning. Stand up if you're on the Converge planning team. Go ahead. They're, they're all around this, this auditorium too. Yeah. Thank you all. <laughs> Converge is, begins this week. It's this Friday. Spring break is almost here. If you're not going skiing or going to the beach or going fishing, uh, I would encourage you to come and join us for Converge. It's going to be an incredible weekend. It's a time of just enjoying some fellowship with one another, sitting around the table, enjoying some great meals. I've, I've heard we're going to have meals from uh, Gabarino's, from Ray's Barbecue, and some other places. Great time of food fellowship, a great time of just playing games together, sitting around the table, times of worship, times of study and learning, uh, times of getting outdoors and, and going to museums and enjoying fellowship with each other. And it's going to be a wonderful weekend. And I want to encourage you to go. Because we didn't meet last week, we've extended the registration till today. So please sign up. There's registration tables on the side. You can fill out that paperwork and leave it there. And I want to encourage you to come. There's, uh, there's, right now, I think there's around 100 folks and children that have signed up to come and be a part of the weekend. And it begins with dinner on Friday night. I hope that you will come and join us. As Angela said, this is the first Sunday of the Lenten season. It is that time of the year when we begin to really focus and prepare ourselves for Holy Week and for Easter Sunday. And I want to encourage you to begin making those preparations. On Wednesday, we will host the first of the Lenten's lunch series. And I want to invite us as a church to be wonderful hosts by coming as best we can. I know it's a work day, but if you can get away for that hour to come and to welcome the community of Norman to First Baptist as we host the first uh, worship series over lunch. I think uh, several of the choir, a lot of the choir is going to come and lead in worship as well. And so I want to invite you to come. It's a, it's a powerful, meaningful time of worship as literally as the body of Christ from Norman gathers and our theme this year is together 
at the cross. Amongst the differences of all the denominations, the different churches, hopefully the one thing we can do is gather beneath the cross of Christ and worship Him as one. And that's what the Lenten series allows us to do as we meet in the churches of our community. Forbidden things. What are the forbidden things that you're aware of? You know, the creation story starts with some forbidden things. Enjoy, eat from all the trees of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat. Forbidden things. Did you know that in France, that the French government passed a law that forbids ketchup to be served in schools. It's not a health issue. It's because they don't want their children to miss out on the wonderful taste of French cuisine. And they were afraid the children were putting too much ketchup on their food to enjoy the school food. Now, they do have one exception. Guess what the one exception is for a little bit of ketchup? French fries, of course. Did you know that in Denmark, there are, by law, there are, and this is all information from the internet, so I hope it's true. <laughs> Did you know that in Denmark, there are 24,000 names that are approved that you can name your children? You can't name 24,001. Apparently there's a, a, a long appeal process, a request process. If you want to come up with a name, a unique name, a different spelling of a name that you can go to the government and ask permission for. Did you know that in Malaysia, it is illegal to wear yellow clothing because at a time in their history, the opposition party, the opposition people wore yellow. So they just outlawed the color. It was forbidden to wear yellow in Malaysia. Did you know that Isaiah chapter 53 is a forbidden chapter? What I am told is that every Sabbath in synagogues around the world, there are two portions of the Old Testament scripture which are read. There's a section from the law that is read, and there is a section from the prophets that is read. And these scheduled readings are repeated year after year after year. It's interesting that Isaiah 51 verses 12 through 52 verse 12 are read one week, and the next week Isaiah 54 verses 1 through 10 are read. Isaiah 52 13 through Isaiah 53, 12 are not included in the annual regular readings in the synagogues. Some have described and labeled that particular chapter the suffering servant chapter and portion of the prophet of Isaiah as the forbidden chapter. And it's to that chapter that we draw our attention today. I believe that as we look at Isaiah chapter 53, that what we will discover is a powerful and beautiful picture, beautiful in the sense of, of, of powerful and stirring. Its, it's pictures are, are, that it creates are disturbing at times, but it's an incredible prophecy that we must be drawn to. 
Another chapter as we prepare for Easter Sunday that I would draw your attention to is Psalms 22. If you would, turn with me briefly before we go to Isaiah, Psalm 22. Now remember Psalms, this particular Psalm is believed to be written by David, uh, excuse me, in about 1000 BC. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It begins. Well, we recognize that from the cross of Christ. And then look at verse 16, 17, and 18. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me, and they've pierced my hands and my feet, and I, count on all my, I, I can count all my bones. And they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. This prophetic Psalm 22, written a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus, is, is a powerful psalm that we must read and reflect and meditate on during this season. Now, as we go to Isaiah 53, we'll begin in 52. Again, it creates that same picture, that same uh, prophecy of predicting, of anticipating what the servant will experience, what the servant will suffer. In verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and his, by his scourgings we are healed. Now we're going to study and look at that particular portion of the servant's uh, passage in, in a couple of weeks. But again, these two chapters of Scripture, Psalm 22, Isaiah 52 and 53 offer a picture, a, a prophetic insight into the passion story of the life of Christ that is worthy of our consideration and study and awareness. Old Testament scholar Kyle Yates described Isaiah chapter 53 as the Mount Everest of messianic prophecy because of the way it stands out in its grandeur and the revelation of the coming Messiah and his journey to Mount Calvary. Another Old Testament commentator said that Isaiah 53 is written as if someone had been beneath the cross of Christ, not as if it were written hundreds or centuries before the actual event. This is a powerful, powerful passage and story that causes us to anticipate and to look to the life of Christ, Jesus as the suffering servant. So let's look at these first three verses, these first three verses of this servant song that begin in chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus, he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what he had been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. I am so thankful for these first three verses of the servant, suffering servant passage because they give us a picture of, of the future. They give us a picture of the final outcome. If all we had described in the suffering servant passage was the destruction of the servant, we would be hopeless and filled with despair. 
But we begin, we start with a proclamation that it is the servant who will prosper. It is the servant who will ultimately be exalted. And so we begin in verse 13. The servant will prosper. A better way to understand this is that the servant will act wisely. This is a wisdom that leads to success. And as we look at the study, as we study the life of Jesus, we see that it is a life filled with wisdom. As he's confronted by the religious opposition, they, they try to entrap him. They try to make him look bad on, to both sides of, of, of the congregation, so to speak. And yet he answers with wisdom. When the Pharisees come and ask him if he should pay his taxes, they knew they had him trapped. But he said, oh, we, we should pay what we owe to Caesar to Caesar and render to God what is God's. And when they came and they brought a woman caught in adultery and they, they challenged him, Jesus, you have to stone this woman, put this woman to death. And Jesus said, oh, you who have not sinned, you may cast the first stone. Jesus was wise. And in his wisdom, he prospered. When Satan came to Jesus in his wilderness temptations, Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and, and that you can have all the glory of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, oh, we're only to worship and serve the Lord God alone. And Jesus chose to obey his father and to worship him. And he could have instantly had the glory and the worship of all the peoples of the world. But no, he chose to obey because he was wise. And in his wisdom, he prospers now. Because why? Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. The servant will act wisely. Notice what it says next, that he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. A servant exalted? Remember that the New Testament teaches us that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It, it's astonishing here, this exaltation that's promised to the suffering servant, to the one that will be crushed and yet we are reminded at the front end of the story that he will be exalted. He will be high. Notice the progression. He will be made high. And then no, he will be lifted up. And no, now he will be greatly exalted. It's a progression. It shows that you can count on this, that the servant will be triumphant, that the servant will be victorious. No matter how bad things get, no matter how devastating the cross, no matter how painful the scourging and the beating and the humiliation that the servant would go through, no matter how dark and hopeless things might become, we know the end. And the end is that he, the servant, that Jesus Christ will not just be high, he will not just be lifted up, he will be greatly exalted. And every knee will bow and tongue confess that the servant will become the greatest, the most exalted of all time. But notice in verse 14, before this astonishing exaltation comes, there must first be a, an appalling humiliation. 
Notice the different ways and nuances of how I'm using this word astonished. Look at the scripture. Just as many were astonished at you. This word astonished can also mean instead of it being surprising or unexpected, it can also carry this idea of being totally devastating, of being appalling, of being horrific, a shock so devastating that you lose control over your own faculties in the sense of becoming numb, being petrified, being paralyzed. That when those who will see this servant suffering at his greatest, it will astonish you. It will appall you. The New Living Translation translates verse 14 in this way. His face was so disfigured, he hardly seemed human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. The third servant psalm of Isaiah 50 that that we were going to focus on last week and we'll incorporate it over these next week. But this Isaiah 50 servant song says this, that the servant gave himself, gave his cheeks to those that would pluck out his beard. Can you imagine having your, your face desecrated by pulling your beard out of it? on top of the beatings, to to be disfigured, to be unrecognizable. This is the appalling humiliation, to be astonished at his appearance. Martin Luther put it this way, this word describes the posture of one about to vomit and one full of revulsion because his appearance would be so vile that many would be sick and offended. This one who will one day be exalted and lifted above all others, will first experience a humiliation in which he will be unrecognizable to those around him. In verse 15, but notice this. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. This word sprinkle could refer to, to water, to blood, is a reference to salvation. So here again, as in all the servant songs, a a reflection on that this servant is, his, his sacrifice, his work, his service is so great that it can't just be reserved for, for the Jewish people, for the, the people of Abraham, but rather for all the nations, all the peoples. And so even here, he will sprinkle, it will, will save all the nations, many nations, many peoples. This word sprinkle here, also has a reference to being startled, to cause to leap, to surprise as when someone has a lot of water thrown upon them. Do you remember a few years ago that the ice bucket challenge was a very worthy expression? It was an opportunity to draw awareness to this horrible disease called ALS, a, a fundraiser to help draw attention and resources to that research. But if you remember, it was a YouTube sensation. You took a a bucket of ice water and you would pour it over the top of someone. And they would jump or they would lock up, right? Or you'd scream. And that's the picture here, that that the suffering servant will come. And and it's as if it will be a, it will sprinkle, it will startle the nations to see this one who comes to bring salvation, it will catch their attention and so much so that kings 
kings, politicians, presidents, they always have something to say, don't they? But when they see Jesus, when the nations are sprinkled by his salvation, the kings of the world will stand silent before him. You see, silence is the involuntary effect of extreme astonishment and intense emotion that renders you speechless. And when we are confronted by the suffering servant, we too are made speechless in his presence. During this season of Lent, our focus, the theme in which we're pursuing is this idea of suffering servant, risen Lord, Let us be reminded that the depth and horror of the servant's humiliation can only be matched by the height and the glory of his exaltation. Let us remember that the servant's suffering must precede his exaltation. He must first suffer as slave before he can conquer as king. And because of this, this first stanza, this first expression of the suffering servant passage gives us hope and gives us courage to make it through the weeks to come, to get through the betrayal, the scourging, the crucifixion, to get us to Easter Sunday. I'm reminded of the passage we've sung and we've heard sung already so many times this morning about the triumphant servant. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Allow me to read this one more time to us. I'll begin in verse 8. Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He became that servant, that humbled, obedient servant, so much so that he died on the cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him, this servant, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant, and he is also the risen Lord. And this morning, in just a moment, we will share together in the Lord's Supper For it is the primary way that we remember and live in the truth of this tension. The Apostle Paul says that as we are sharing together, we're to remember the bread, the broken body. We're to remember the cup, the shed blood, the suffering of this servant. And we are, as we are doing this, we are proclaiming Jesus Christ until he returns. We are proclaiming his resurrection and victory over death until he returns again as exalted Savior and Lord. In Matthew 26, as Jesus is taking the Passover meal with his disciples in those moments before he's arrested and crucified, 
He turns to his disciples and he breaks bread and he says, this is my body. Take and eat. And then in a few moments, he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood. Drink from it. For this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. In just a moment, we will share together in this Lord's Supper. First Baptist Church invites everyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior to share and to participate in His meal with us. In these moments, I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward and to make their preparations to serve us His Supper today. And I invite you, as they do that, to prepare your own heart to receive the cup and the bread. Let's pray.